If you would, reach into your bulletin and you'll find one of our study guides for today. Take that out. Feel free to make use of the clipboards and the pens and the book racks in front of you. And uh, let's get into our study. Today we're talking about the matter of Christ's example of friendship. And I want to tell you a little bit about how this study came to be because it wasn't originally where we were going to go today. Last Sunday night after church, I got home and I was thinking through a particular verse that I felt God was leading me to for today. And uh, I was working on some research and some thoughts for it. And by Monday morning early, I already had the outline in place and I was feeling really good about it because, man, I had a head start on the week. And uh, then came Wednesday. Wednesday came and uh, came to church Wednesday evening and my dad was speaking on Jesus, our best friend. If you missed that, you, you missed a really, really incredible message. And I wish you'd been here to hear it. It would have really set the pace for where we're going today. But as he was talking, my thoughts began to drift to uh, the, the aspects of Christ's friendship for us and what he has done for us. And and how God himself came here to show us a perfect example of a friend. And as I thought about this perfect example of a friend that Jesus Christ showed to us, my, my immediate question came up, I wonder if I'm following the example. Okay, so he lays out what it is to be a friend and he shows us very clearly and my first thought was, am I following the example? Because I really believe that our friends need us to follow that example. I think the, the deepening relationships that we establish, the bonds in our friendship, need desperately for us to be the kind of person that follows the example that Jesus Christ has set in friendship. I think for us to have these long-standing friendships, friendships that last a lifetime, we have to be people who follow the example of Jesus Christ in our friendships. Now certainly there are uh, endless amounts of places we could talk about as far as the relationship between God and man and the way that Jesus Christ has established this example for us. But if you would, I just want to draw three of those out this morning. I just want to draw three of those thoughts out this morning and, and let's look at these three aspects and then ask ourselves the question, are we following the example? Okay, so if you've got your notes ready, get ready to write because number one, the very first thing we want to talk about today is that we see in the life of Jesus Christ the perfect example of forgiveness. The perfect example of forgiveness. Isn't it true? Jesus Christ would so graciously leave heaven to come here to provide a way for us to be forgiven. It's incredible. And as I thought about the many different places in the Gospels that we could relate this particular thought to and the many different places we could draw out as an illustration of what we're talking about, the one that stood out the most to me was, was an, inter, uh, inter, an interaction between Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus was talking to his disciples on the night that he would be betrayed. And he told his disciples, listen guys, I know what's going to happen. And you got to understand something. I'm going to be betrayed. One of you sitting here now is going to betray me. 
And I'm going to be turned over to sinful people who are going to abuse me and crucify me on the cross. I'm going to die for the sin of mankind. And as if that wasn't enough, Jesus then went on to tell the disciples, listen guys, and, and you're all going to desert me. I just want you to know ahead of time, this is what's going to happen. You're going to run off and you're going to desert me in this desperate hour that I will face. And the disciples began to say, no, Jesus, you've got this all wrong. That's not going to happen. You need to understand something that, that I'm ready to die with you. I'm not going to run away and desert you. If we have to die with you, we're ready. We're standing tall. We're standing ready to do what needs to be done. We forward to the place now where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying and you see the agony of what's coming in what we read in the passage when it says that Jesus was in great agony and he was sweating great drops of blood. I mean, you see what's going through his mind. The knowledge of what's going to take place. The knowledge of what's already in place to happen. He knows it. He's fully God. He's fully man. It's kind of hard to wrap our heads around that sometime. But, but being fully God, he knew the future. Being fully man, he embraced the sacrifice that he was about to make for mankind. And the Bible says that in this moment that Judas, who had betrayed him to the religious leaders of the day, came with the captain of the guards and the guards of the temple, and they came to arrest Jesus. And we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 26, verses 55 and 56. You have those listed for you. Then Jesus said to the crowd, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day. But this is happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. And here's the very sad ending to this verse. At that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. I believe that even though Jesus knew this was coming, even though he had already told the disciples that it was going to transpire, that he stood there with a little bit of a grief over what they had just done. Oh. In a time when he needed them to be there for encouragement, to be there for just moral support maybe, human aspects of Jesus Christ, that Jesus looked around and they were all running for their lives. Now let's fast forward again because Jesus now goes through a mock trial. Mock trial meaning that the verdict was already determined. There was no justice going to be served. Jesus was going to die. The religious leaders had already determined that. Jesus goes through a mock trial. He is then led away to be beaten, to be disgraced, to have his beard plucked from his face, to be spat upon. God Almighty is on the earth being treated like this. Can you imagine he is then led away where he is crucified on the cross of Calvary where he sheds his blood to pay the price of our rebellion against God. Jesus sacrifices everything for us. He sacrifices his life for us on the cross of Calvary. He is then 
dead, lifeless body is removed from the cross. It's placed in a grave. And three days later, something incredible happens when God puts life back into his body. And the Bible says that Jesus rose from the dead. He came forth. And let me just tell you what my human perspective on this is. And it's wrong. I'll just give you an advance warning. It's wrong. But in my mind, I would be thinking, okay, now where are those disciples? You ran away from God? You deserted God? Are you kidding me? Come here, guys. We're going to talk about this. And yet, do you know that there, in, in the recorded passages of Scripture, there's not one conversation about that matter? Jesus went and found the disciples, and, and he comforted them. And yet, we do not find that Jesus threw up in their face what they had done. Do you know what you've done? You deserted me? You know, I can't help but believe that, that I would have at least wanted a little bit of justification from that. You're at least going to acknowledge what you've done before we move on. But in the mind of Jesus, they were already forgiven. It was already a done deal. Can you imagine that? And I just wonder, how well are we following the example? You know, we've got this issue with pride, don't we? Uh, pride just seems to always get in the way of doing the right thing because we want to make sure that we get seen as, as being the winner, the one that comes out on top in the deal. We want to be seen as the person who overcomes and, and we've, we've stood taller than the person who created this issue. And this pride just rips at the heart of forgiveness. Because we just can't find it in ourselves to really forgive someone who probably did something that needs forgiveness. But we just are afraid what everybody's going to think when they see it. And I just wonder how well we are following the example. So Jesus lays down the perfect example of forgiveness. But not only that, we also see in the life of Jesus Christ, number two, the perfect example of compassion. The perfect example of compassion. Proverbs chapter 18 tells us that a person who is a friend or who will have friends must show himself friendly. A person who is is hoping to have friends in their life must be one that reaches out and takes the initiative, one that shows himself to be a friend. And the Bible says when one reaches out with this kind of compassion, with this kind of understanding that, that I'm no prize, but I sure would like to be your friend, that he can gain a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I thought about this in relationship to Jesus Christ because Jesus was one that while had, he had every right to hang out with the kings and the queens and the princes and the princesses, he had every right. He was God. I mean, he could have been born in the palace. He could have had them as his best friends. He could have easily hung out with the religious crowd if he wanted to give in on some of the issues that were very significant. 
He could have easily been around the people that were the most notable in society. And yet the compassion of Jesus Christ compelled him to go to people who desperately needed friends in their lives. It's interesting because Jesus reached out to the people who were hurting. He reached out to those who needed somebody to befriend them, someone to, to love them through what was going on in their lives. And I just wondered, when we look at that example, how well are we following it? You know, the problem I see that stands in the way here is that for most of us, and I'm not saying all of us, but for most of us, we have in the back of our mind this American mentality that I will befriend those who can do something for me. I will befriend those who can help me with prestige or can help me with power or authority or who can, who can put me on the map. I will help those or befriend those who can help me financially. I will befriend those who this and that. Isn't it true? I mean, it's just us here. Let's just be real for a little bit. And I know that if we follow that mentality that we fail in following the example of Jesus Christ. There are people around us all the time who desperately need a friend. Who need someone who's not looking what they can get from them. But following the example of Jesus Christ, Jesus went to those that were in the lowest form of society who had absolutely nothing they could give to him. Nothing. I mean, obviously that's true for everyone, isn't it? We have nothing we can give to Christ. I mean, he owns it all. He's God. But Jesus went to those who realized, recognized they had nothing of significance that they could pour out to him. And I just wonder, how well are we following the example? Are we more concerned about our little bubble? Are we more concerned about what people think? Are we compassionate to those that need someone to befriend them? There's one more thought I want to throw out for your consideration. Not only did Jesus present the perfect illustration of forgiveness and compassion, but we also see in his life the perfect example of inviting. Inviting. I, I, that doesn't really flow very well, but it was the best way I could come up with to express what I'm feeling. Once again, Jesus had every right to be seen with the in crowd. He had every right to be hanging around with those who had power and prestige. And yet what Jesus did is amazing to me. Notice, if you will, the verses on your handout. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 30. Jesus said this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Just think about that for a second. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. He didn't have to have this on him. He didn't have to be around people who had burdens. You know how tough it is sometimes to be around people who are burdened down? I mean, not that we don't want to be, but it's tough. You carry all that on you for them, it's tough. It's a difficult life. And yet Jesus was inviting all of them. Come to me if you're weary and you're burdened. Come to me and listen to what he says he's going to do. And I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Luke chapter 5, verse 32, we see another invitation where Jesus said, I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Once again, going back to this compassion, he saw the need, he saw the desperate condition of those who, who, who needed a friend, and Jesus invited them to forgiveness. He invited them to something that would not only change their life here, but would change their eternity. Jesus was good at inviting people. You may say, well, was it really that important? Was it really that big of a deal? Oh, yeah. Yeah, when we talk about this invitation to repentance, this invitation to come and be unloaded of burden, we're not talking about something that if you, if you do or you don't do it, it really doesn't make a very significant difference. But we're talking about something that changes everything. We're talking about that which changes life as we know it, which takes us from a dead end life to a life that is abundant and overflowing, abundant with peace and joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. And we're talking about that which not only changes this life, but changes the life hereafter that promises us eternal life in the presence of Jesus Christ, removes the, 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 the judgment of God that's upon the life of those who reject Jesus, removes eternal damnation from them. Significant. I mean, this invitation to come and experience Jesus Christ is, is significant. And I just wonder, are we following the example? My immediate thought is, you know what? Probably we aren't following the example. Probably we aren't sharing Christ with people like we should because there are still seats available in the auditorium. If we were, we'd be seeing a lot more people saved. We'd be seeing a lot more people go through the baptismal waters. Now you know me, I hope you do anyway. I'm one that tries to approach every subject from the positive side. I really am. I, I, I think that if we can present the positive side of it, the negative side will be evident. I think we'll be able to see that. But honestly, when we come to where we're going right now, I couldn't find a positive side to it. Sometimes we just have to have it in our face. You know, it, sometimes it just has to be there. Because I'm really heartbroken over what I'm going to share with you. Because you may say, you know what, I, I don't have necessarily the time to share Christ with everyone. But then my follow-up question would be, would, do you at least invite them to church where they can at least hear about Jesus? You know, that doesn't take very long. And you know what my answer is? We're probably not following that. Probably not doing it. I'm going to give you some statistics that you can fill in on your sheet. 
These are from 10 years ago. And they haven't updated this research. My opinion is that it's probably worse now than it was then, but I don't know that to be a fact. But the statistic that starts, number one or letter A, however you have it on your sheet, did you know that 98% of churchgoers never extend an invitation in a given year? Across the board, church across the United States, the average is that 98% of people will never extend an invitation to someone just to come and hear about Jesus. Which means, obviously, we'll just reverse this, your next feeling, 2% of people do. Only 2% of people will ever extend an invitation in a given year. That means out of the hundreds here, out of every hundred, only two people, if we follow the average, will invite someone to church. In my opinion, that's pretty sad, but let me tell you something that makes that even sadder. Your next fill-in says 82% of the unchurched are at least somewhat likely to attend church if they're invited. 82% of people who are unchurched say that they are at least somewhat likely to go to church if someone would just invite them. And I believe that the statistic is like 72 or 75% of people who are unchurched say they would go to church if a close friend or a family member invited them. Are you hearing this? So 82% of people say they're Somewhat likely. 82 out of 100 people who aren't in church say they're somewhat likely to go to church if they're invited. But only 2 out of 100 people in church are willing to invite them. Now, I don't know if it does you, but it breaks my heart to hear that statistic. When we look at the example of Jesus Christ with his forgiveness and his compassion and his invitation, and we ask the question, are we following the example? Then maybe the answer has to be, well, no, we're not. Do you know what that presents to the community around us? In some way, it may present relief because we're not bothering them. <laughs> but in another way, what we're telling them is we don't really care. You say, Tom, that's not it. I do care. You know what? We've got a message that prevents people from spending eternity in hell. And it is the only way to make that happen. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So the only way to eternal life is Jesus Christ. I don't care what other people tell you. I don't care what other religions say. The only way to eternal life is in Jesus Christ. And if we don't share Jesus Christ with people, what we're saying is, I don't care if you go to hell.
So what a hard truth. You know, I was embarrassed in my private study time when I asked myself these questions. I'm embarrassed as a pastor to stand here and say that to you, but I'm also embarrassed as a pastor to be in a church that may fit into the statistics very well. So what do we do from here? I think first of all as a church we repent. God forgive us. Forgive us. May we put Jesus Christ before what others think of us. May we put Jesus Christ before anything else that may rise up to try and quiet the message. And may we share Jesus Christ and His church with people this week and this day. This day. So let's end where we started. How are we following the example?